morning. Welcome to Score Values on 670 The Score. I'm Adam Staczynski. Coming up on this week's show, Marillac St. Vincent Family Services is preparing for their annual toy drive. Plus, a score host offers her reaction to the Iranian national team's exit from the World Cup and the aftermath they have to deal with. And we're joined now on Score Values by Deanna Halligan. She is the manager of Neighborhood Youth Programs at Marillac St. Vincent Family Services. Deanna, thank you so much for being on this morning. I'm, I'm glad to. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. So I, I always like when we when we have representatives on from Marillac St. Vincent to ask ask you to, to talk a little bit about what the organization is. And I know it's wide reaching. You don't have to talk about every program. And obviously, <laughs> we're here to talk about your the toy drive this year. But if you could, just for those who haven't heard of the of the organization before, what is Marillac St. Vincent Family Services? So Marillac St. Vincent is uh, um, over 100 years old, and we have a north side location and a west side location. Uh, it serves uh, birth through senior citizens. We have a whole range of programs that make sure we cover the entire family and support the community. We have outreach programs with a food pantry and, you know, different supports for the community um, through outreach. And then we also have a senior program. We have a teen mom program. We have a neighborhood youth program that I run called Hope Junior. Mm-hmm. And then we have child care, which is uh, a big piece of our agency. So for working families or families uh, who are in school, we have uh, affordable daycare. Um, they, they, they have to qualify and families, it's, it's very much of a support the entire family through every age that you can imagine. So, I mean, the, the whole life cycle and that's uh, something that's really been part of both communities for over a hundred years, like I said, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very powerful um, part of the community, I think. Yeah, I, I would certainly agree with that. And and that, of course, brings us to what we're going to be talking about mainly today, which is Marillac St. Vincent's toy drive. And so how about you just tell us about, about this toy drive, how long it's going on for. And I know that this program in particular, it looks like it's been going on since back to the 1960s. Right, it has. It's it's a it's called the Christmas Store, and it's um, we sign up 250 families who are connected to one of the programs in both centers. So we, the families uh, are already signed up, and what we do is they come in. We set up the gym like a store, and they can pick out a new toy for each kid under 12, and then they can get a board game and stocking stuffers. And there's some clothes a lot of times or books. And uh, then they get a bit of food and a turkey. So it's all the, you know, the donations come in to make sure this is possible for 250 families to kind of give Christmas to their family by shopping at the Christmas store. And it's, uh, it's the, um, the importance of it is that families get to pick what they want for their kids. And, you know, it's, it, and they know their kids better than any of us. So mm-hmm. it's, it's great when they can walk through and see something special. We have a wrapping station and uh, it's something really amazing how many 
um, people are involved in making this happen. So it, it serves about 900 children when you figure out it's 250 families. Wow. It equates to about 900 kids, and that's that's a, an amazing thing to do in one morning in December, make sure that Christmas happens for 250 families. But it takes a lot of uh, support, and that I, that's what we're kind of asking for right now is support for, you know, by collecting toys or hats and mittens or books or stuffed animals, any kind of thing that we would we would set it out in our store and people would come through and get that for their family. And so since you brought that up, if if people are looking to donate, how how can they do that? Well, they, we've got a, a pretty easy website now. It used to be a lot longer, but it's msvchicago.org. And if you click on that, um, then you can go, there's a, uh, in the header is a, the Christmas store, and you just click on the Christmas store, and it'll show you ways to donate. People um, can go to an Amazon wish list and and pick out pick out something from there and have it sent right to the agency. We would love it if you would put your name on it, so we know uh, who it comes from because that we get a lot in the mail, and it's mm-hmm. amazing. It's like Santa Claus just sends them <laughs> over here. So we and then you can donate money if you'd like to, or. Uh, you can organize a toy drive, which a lot of places have at their offices, or a friend of mine is putting a sleigh outside of his house, and he's going to collect toys from his neighbors to make sure that, you know, this Christmas store goes off. And how long do people have to, to donate to the to the Christmas store? And, 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 and then a follow-up to that would be, when does the Christmas store actually, and, and you know, I'm using air quotes here, open? Right. It's only one day. It's uh, uh, December 17th is the Christmas store. So anytime before the 17th, the goal would be to have it maybe like the 13th or 14th, if that were possible, so we could, you know, get it all set up. But I mean, we would take donations up till up till the 17th because, uh, you know, this is a tough year Mm -hmm. for people. I know I know it's been a tough, you know, past few years, but I think that, you know, this year, it seems to be hitting families really hard, um, and we know how important this store is to have people come out and uh, be able to, you know, have have Christmas for their kids. And I'm I'm curious because this sounds like you know, when we use the term toy drive, this doesn't seem like some of the traditional ones that I've that I've been around where people just kind of bring in random toys they drop them off this is more than just toys and families actually have the opportunity to come in and select the items themselves which i think is really unique and really cool i do too i think you know when you see it it's it's amazing um you know i've been i've been here 32 years so i've gotten to see a whole lot of the christmas store and it's amazing when people come in and they're they debate over things and pick out what they want. Just like, you know, it's, it's, it's a store. So you, you have the freedom to get what you want for your kids and and what's going to fit their personality and what they like to do. And I I love that about it because it's, it gives it, it's such a, um, so personal. I mean, they, they're, you know, they're the ones who make it happen for their kids. And when you watch parents in there or grandparents picking Mm -hmm. out things for their kids, it's, it's really cool. It's a, it's a very nice feeling at the store. I mean, it's, it's a lot of volunteers and, uh, it's just, a, it's an amazing day. This is score values on six seventy. The score. We're speaking with Deanna Halligan. She is manager of neighborhood youth programs at Marillac St. Vincent family services. Just a few more things for you here. I, I saw 
noted that Amerilax St. Vincent is requesting that no one donate any weapon-like toys. Could you explain that a little bit? Yeah, that's something we've done for probably as long as I've been here, that, that we've always asked to stay away from guns and knives, and, you know, mm-hmm. swords and um, weapons. It, I just think we, the philosophy has always been that, you know, that's not part of our value here is, mm-hmm. is having weapons. And we I know that kids love Nerf guns and water guns and stuff, but it, it's really part of what we kind of, are about here and that's you know building community and for a lot of this community a lot of things guns and have taken mm-hmm. taken a very big toll on the west side of chicago and and all over the world and we want we that's been a theme of ours for as long as i can remember that we don't accept you know any kind of weapon toys we want to you know promote play and you know positive mm-hmm. positive ways to play it certainly makes sense. And so uh, I'm curious in the last couple years, because of the pandemic, how you were able to make the Christmas store function, if it was able to still function with any any sort of normalcy when when especially a couple of years ago in the first year of the pandemic, when everyone was so concerned about staying socially distant. We we did that Christmas store differently for two years. Um we we did a drive through and mm. they didn't get to pick the toys and we we uh kind of got an idea like interviewed the families and uh, uh they um uh they they came they kind of told us a little bit what they wanted but we kind of were a little more in the dark and we packed up the bags mm-hmm. and brought them out for the cars and that that was I I was really proud of how we did that because it made it happen, mm-hmm. but it wasn't the same feel as the way that we have done it in the past. And I'm so glad this year we'll be back to the in-person store. We didn't last year, we were hoping to do it in person. And then with the spike of mm-hmm. COVID, we, we didn't. And we, um, I think we did the very best we could in the situation, but I, I but we were able to do it both years of, of 2020 and 2021. So we're all very proud of that fact, and we did the best we could. And I think uh, it, that did make a lot of families happy. And we had a we had our drum line out there playing mm-hmm. when people came, and Santa Claus ran to the cars, bringing the bags out <laughs> to the families. So that it was different. But you know, we're really excited to be back in person. I certainly bet, and it's good to hear that this is back to that that I guess I'll say the normal way you've been doing things. And right. it, it, so, and I, I I'm also curious. When it comes to the families who participate in this, is it something that people have to volunteer for? And is there certain types of requirements? I'm just curious how that process goes. Well, um, we we have several programs here and we have um, hundreds of families. So we try to have the program managers of the program uh, directors. Uh, make sure that the families that are, are, are that we most need are on first, and we try to cover the 250 families through each program. So um, there's different requirements at, at, for different departments, mm-hmm. but uh, mostly mostly everybody who is participating in it is involved here in some way. You know, by either part of our food pantry that we've known from or the outreach programs. But all the program pieces, uh, families 
have a lot of different requirements through the year to be, you know, present at different events and, and, and be present with, you know, just making sure we have report cards and things like that, you know, Mm. so it's, it's very much in line with what the agency does, how the families are, are put on uh, the Christmas store. Got it. And if anyone is looking to volunteer with, I'm not sure if you're still taking volunteers for the Christmas store, or I know that Marillac St. Vincent is always looking for volunteers just in general. So if anyone wants to volunteer with the organization, how can they do that? Well, they can uh, go on the msbchicago.org and and, uh, look at the volunteer link. And then Colleen Mulcrone is the person to contact. Mm -hmm. Um, She's always uh, ready for volunteers and, and plugging them in the right spots where, you know, they might be interested or could the Christmas store. I'm not sure. Um, the day of it, I think she said we have 50 people at this point, mm-hmm. but there there's set up time that we also have to do. So I think there's openings to help us arrange the store. Um, but the best person to check with for that is Colleen Mulcrone and she's our volunteer coordinator here. Got it. And just one last thing to ask, ask you, is there, Anything going, because you mentioned earlier that you also run the Hope Junior program. So I just wanted to ask you if there's anything else going on with the Hope Junior program that you want to make people aware of, or, you know, as we get towards the new year, is if there's anything going on there that you want to promote or talk about? Well, I I think, you know, we, we, um, the Hope Junior program, we go from kindergarten through uh, college, basically. And a lot Mm -hmm. of the, we have a hundred grade school kids here and about, 60 high school kids in jobs programs and they do lots of different things. The other night we went to see the lion King, which was amazing, but, um, we do, I know your sports, uh, radio Mm. station. We did last year, did a, uh, we do a three on three contest in, um, in June. And we have a small, a younger kids basketball league that we had the, you know, high school kids coach the, uh, second, third and fourth graders, in basketball, if anybody has any skills that they might want to bring our way and to our kids, we'd always welcome uh, volunteers and uh, working with kids on tutoring or any any aspect of um, what we have going on here. Ours is a year-round program. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, We've got a lot of kids and we've got a lot of energy and we've got a lot of uh, things that if somebody has a special gift or talent that they want to bring our way, we, we would more than welcome them. Well, that's all that I have for De- for you, Deanna. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? I wanted to say that this Christmas store is something really special. And mm-hmm. uh, I know um, the thing that gets me every year is how uh, it comes together. It's, it's a lot of work that people, individuals in their offices and their churches and their schools put together to make this possible. And there's a real magic to it. And I I just really, I'm always grateful to be part of it because you, you watch this and, you know, with all the things that go are so difficult in the world to Mm -hmm. see how people come together to make this happen for other people is, is a really inspiring thing. And it's, it's, I think it's pretty much what Christmas is about, you know, Santa Claus comes to Marillac and that happens in the form of the Christmas store. And I, it's an amazing thing. So, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about it. Talk to me about it. Of course, of course. And with that, well, I'll say thanks to you as well for joining us here on score values. And I hope that the, the Christmas store goes well. And I hope that you have a, 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 a great holiday season. 
You too, and I hope we get lots of toys. Thanks. <laughs> right, yeah, of course. <laughs> That was Deanna Halligan, Manager of Neighborhood Youth Programs at Marillac St. Vincent Family Services. This is Score Values on 670 The Score. I'm Adam Staczynski. Up next, Leila Rahimi and her typical Wednesday appearance on the Bernstein and Home Show here on The Score discuss the aftermath of the Iranian national team's exit from the World Cup. Looking into those faces, I saw a bunch of guys that were like, man, now nah, I gotta go deal with this. And I haven't talked about it in a public space I've posted posts from other people on my Instagram story. I've retweeted posts from CNN, from Christian Amanpour, who that, that, you that would expect to see. Twelve minutes long, and it was worth every minute of learning about what's happening there. And Alika Sadigi, I think, has done a really excellent job on Twitter as well, speaking about what's happening with the unrest that is going on in Iran. And for those of you who don't know, it started because Masha Amini a woman who had her hijab on her headscarf, which is mandated by the government, just a headscarf, covering your hair, not respiratory organs in a pandemic, hair, and that she didn't wear it properly, according to whomever, the morality police, which is deputized individuals or citizens who feel like they can take the law into their own hands because they're doing the work of people who aim to control was killed for not wearing it properly. Killed. Her life was taken away at 22 years old. As long as my father has lived here, we've heard about these stories. And I didn't know that I was going to get upset. He moved. But it doesn't stop me from thinking about my family who's there, wondering whether or not I can communicate with my cousins when they decide to limit the internet. These are educated people who know what it's like to have rights. And when basic ones are taken away, people are upset. And it's not just the women. It's men who are also helping be the solution, speaking up for them, which you can do here as well. Good people are the solution. This unrest is upsetting to everyone. Lawrence, you and I have talked about it offline on our shows, off of our shows. When you don't know what's happening to people, When you hear the stories from your family, and my grandmother wore her headscarf voluntarily at home here in the States when she would come visit. That was her choice. Hmm. But this is not. These are educated people. That is one of the cornerstones of the culture. You're teaching them to be productive engineers, doctors, lawyers, as we joke, as members of society. You can't continue to keep people down like this and not expect it to be upsetting. Those who have protested, many have been killed. Many don't know where their family members are. And all they're asking is for us to listen. Listen to the people who are talking about this, more so than me. News reporters, people who live there, people who were born there and have lived there. Understand that when when people can't trust their government, when they don't know what's going on, when it was put in in ways that they didn't freely elect... This division and this upset and this heaviness of of watching that team in the World Cup and trying to figure out what's real and what's not. When you talk about reporters, they're not reporters like you and me. When you talk about the government, that's not the government like what we know. That's how you have to look at this. I don't know what's going to happen to that team when they go home. I also don't know what's going to happen to any given individual who doesn't want to wear her headscarf that day. The weaponization of individuals in the name of control 
is a thousand-year-old playbook piece. And it's been going on far too long. They're just asking to be heard. In watching those guys yesterday and knowing what had been said and knowing how they had been um, chastised for, for <sighs> empathizing with other people in Iran and people who were in the crowds in Qatar, I I felt that. Like, I really, like, as, as much as I was celebrating the, the U.S. men's national team going to the knockout round, like, I felt that. Like, it, we've already seen countries in, in other ways um, silence people, quiet people, ghost people who have said things that go beyond what they want said publicly about them. There have been two high-profile cases of that over the last year. And seeing those guys knowing that they they put themselves in harm's way by taking a stand and being fairly courageous and then being like, man, now that they don't have the protection of the entire world watching their athletic feats what now happens to them. That was a really real feeling for me in watching the game and how it ended yesterday. Did you read John Kyleman's piece in the Tribune yesterday by any chance? I did not. No. It was excellent. It what was, was it about? It was excellent. It was about why certain Iranian fans were cheering actively for the U.S. And it begins where he quotes uh, Matteo Farzaneh says, remembers with great fondness the last time Iran played the U.S. in a World Cup match. It was 1998. He was working as a nurse. He was so fixated on the game, he gave his patience to co-workers so he could watch the team from his homeland beat the U.S. in a 2-1 upset. He said, I was very, very happy. It was a magical moment. There's not much opportunity we get to be proud of being Iranians. But now, Farzaneh is a history professor at Northeastern Illinois University. And if any expats will be rooting for Iran... They're keeping quiet about it. So that's because the Iranian regime's violent crackdown on protest after the September 16th death of Masa Amini. So at least 426 people have been killed, more than 17,400 arrested. And they quote Fateh Kalandi, an Iranian Kurd who lives in Schaumburg, from the bottom of our hearts, We're all hoping the U.S. wins the game by at least six goals. We were begging them to drop the World Cup so the whole wide world can hear our voices. That's it. They're just asking to be heard because they can't be there. And keep in mind, you may not agree with the country's politics, but they might not agree with them either. And for those of you who say, well, if you don't like it, move. My family did. It doesn't make it any less upsetting to be here and deal with it either. Did you have feelings about the match itself? Like, did you find yourself saying, you know, I want the U.S. to win this match? Or I I didn't want uh, the Iranian team to get a lot of love for their surprising win early in the in in the match in the matches. You know what? I thought that I, I didn't I. It wasn't my place to have an opinion on what happened with the Iranian team. I was born here. My family moved here, most of them. 
And I can't speak for my family who's there regarding how they feel about it. I know how my family feels about it. They've told me that's not something I'm going to disseminate. But that the general feeling is it's it's just it's so much heavier than what it appears. We don't get to enjoy sports in that way. And when you're teaching people, empowering people and educating them. They know that this is wrong. The democratization of information is a wonderful thing because people are standing up for themselves. You know, I always say the original social media was the printing press. Mm -hmm. When you're oppressing people like this, and there's a natural curiosity in sports, like us talking about the colors of the Netherlands team, that's a good thing. So, So take it a step further and be a little uncomfortable. But also understand that you can be an advocate in so many wonderful ways and be the solution just by simply hearing people, hearing their struggles, and then figuring out where to go from there. That was the next thing I was going to ask. There may be people who who want to do something positive to to what, what can be done. Well, how, how can someone who wants to be an ally? Well, I, how, how can they be? I think there's a lot of places where they've talked about this. Like, there's frankly, there's a lot of people just putting information out there because. That's that's what to do. Uh, I've seen it in a lot of places on social media. I mentioned Alika Sadegi for a reason. Christian Amanpour has done a lot of work on this, talking to people who who want to discuss solutions. But sometimes you want to you want to stand back against something. But here's the problem: Do you have the resources to do that as an individual? Because I don't think a lot of them do either. You want to check out inflation, check out the price of ground beef in Iran. You think that was on any one person who just wanted to have a meal that day? Mm. Would you ever go? I, that's a tough question because according to their laws, my dad, since he was born there, I'd have a dual passport. I don't know that I speak enough. For, I mean, that would be a very tough, tough like trip to figure out. And Do you have any desire to go? Not right now. Not right now. But I, uh, you know, and I've spoken at Harvard for those who might not know. I've spoken at Harvard as part of their Persian conference. Uh, I got to meet some of the people who are, who are part of the policy that is being discussed right now on the United States side. So I retreated Cameron Kashkarina, who was on CNN. Uh, he was part of that conference talking about the threats that were made to the Iranian team when they lost. It's a lot. And uh, it's been a lot, but we all go through those types of things, as you know, Lawrence. Well, Dan, you know well. But it's just not as cut and dried as you might think. Think of the person sitting across from you before you think of what somebody has painted a picture for you. Look at the actual humans you know. It's opened my eyes, like just seeing you and knowing that you're in a space where you're not you're being very judicious about what it is that you share and, and not adding commentary to it. And weirdly enough, I actually have found that that helpful because I'm like, okay, why did Layla, why did she put this on Instagram story? Like this 12 minute video, like I need to watch all 12 minutes of this to, to have a better understanding of what's going on. And it's this, this world cup, has been so problematic overall from the moment 
the the negotiations began on where it was going to be and when. Right. On and then building it up. And it's so it's very difficult to I, I don't know if the 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 everyday fan is is doing the cognitive dissonance of of look, I know that this is awful. I'm in it for the games themselves. But there's so many connect like whenever we have to deal with the idea of sports and politics being separate, there's no better example of it not being separate than this particular World Cup. The World Cup overall, but this particular one where we see corruption at every turn. We see people being um, violated, people dying for profit dying for the protection of buildings and then inside of individual countries where there were there were Iranian fans who've been at these matches that have been doing their best to try and shine a light on what's going on in Iran been holding up banners talking about freedom and supporting women's rights but i think something gets lost in all of this that is always worth pointing out and it was the great brenda tracy who actually reminded me of this when i spoke at the resilient chicago benefit and that's a wonderful organization for those of you who might want to know she said when we talk about sexual assault I want people to understand that men are the solution, not the men who are committing the wrongs are the problem. Yes, but the men are the solution. And too many times we think we don't have power, but in reality, we can be part of a solution. And that speaks to more than just that scenario. That's it for Score Values this week. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about on a future edition of the show, send us an email at scorevalues670 at gmail.com. I'm Adam Staczynski. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of Score Values on 670 The Score.